This is the time of uh, Advent, the four Sundays leading up to uh, Christmas. <clears throat> and during that time of Advent, it's a time of preparation for the first coming of Christ. And there are various things that uh, traditionally the church has sought to remember during that time of Advent, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. One of them, of course, is the, the prophetic scriptures regarding the Lord Jesus Christ's first coming. And another thing that the church has been uh, doing over the years, the centuries, is to remember the second coming of Christ. Because if he came as prophesied the first time, then we want to be assured he's coming again. So let's just read the scriptures then from 1 Thessalonians and chapter 5 and verses 1 to 11. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and 1 to 11. After we've read the scriptures, if you can keep your Bible open at that place, we'll be referring to verses of scripture there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 1 to 11. Now brothers, about these times and dates, do not need to write to you, for you know very well the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labour pains on a pregnant woman. They will not escape. But you brothers are not to be in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. Do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep. Let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. Amen. Oh, God will bless his own word to us. I think these two things are rubbing together. Let's just have a prayer, shall we, before we come to the word of God. We want to thank you, Lord, that you have uh, opened up the scriptures again for us. And we pray for the leading of God the Holy Spirit to teach us the things that we need to learn today. We give you thanks, Lord, that you are with us. You want to lift up your people. You want to cause us to rejoice in your coming again. We give you thanks for that. And we pray that as we think of this Advent season and the time of your first coming, that our thoughts will be concentrated on your coming again. So we just pray, loving God, that you would take the meditation of my heart and mind and may it be acceptable in your sight. And may we be able to receive something from yourself that we can take into our hearts and minds and help to prepare us as we think of this special season of the year. We give you thanks that we're here today to receive your word, to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to the churches and to give you praise and to give you glory. We pray, Lord, today for those who are unwell. For those known to us who are not with us today, we ask you, loving God, 
to lift them up in spirit and to rest your hand of healing upon them. We pray for those who are downcast, those who are depressed. And there doesn't seem to be any way through the cloud that reigns above them. Lord, will you break that cloud apart. And may they sense the sunshine of your presence. And the warmth of the Son of God coming right through. We pray for those who are troubled by many other things in life. Those who are troubled about financial matters. Or family concerns at this time of the year. Lord, will you help them to be at peace. With the peace of God that passes all understanding. So we ask you Lord to take all the things that occupy our mind. Help us to lay them at your feet. That we might be able to concentrate on you. And to worship you. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus. With the forgiveness of all our sin. Lord have your way in our hearts today. For the glory of your precious name we ask it. Amen. This uh, letter of Paul to the First Thessalonians is a, a truly remarkable letter. It was one that was given, Paul had written, at the very beginning of his ministry. It's reckoned to be the earliest letter that Paul has ever written in the New Testament. And so it comes after he spent, he spent three weeks in Thessalonica, only a, a three-week mission. That's all it was. And we find that uh, Paul, after that time, he had to flee for his life because of the Jews. And he fled, and only three weeks were these Christian, new Christians. And he writes this lovely letter to them. Oh, I'm out of commission here. It's not going green. <laughs> I don't know what's happening to this. Oh, I'm back on green again. Isn't it this, this tummy's beginning to roll over a wee bit? <laughs> anyway, what was actually happening was in, in this church, uh, he really, they really got caught on to the teaching of the second coming of Christ. They were all excited about it. So excited about it that some gave up working. That's how they felt. They felt that Christ could come at any moment in time. The other thing that really concerned them was the fact that some of the believers had died before Christ had come back. And so we find that Paul here is actually trying to bring them further teaching about the second coming of Christ. And one of the wonderful things about this letter here in 1 Thessalonians, at the end of every chapter, there's a reference to the second coming of Christ. At the very end of every chapter. And so we find in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that Paul comes along with this message and says to them, Look, I want you to know that those who have died already are not disadvantaged because Christ has not come yet. They are not disadvantaged. He says that the dead in Christ will rise first. And those that remain will be caught up with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so they shall ever be with the Lord. So they are not disadvantaged. And so we find that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, there's this wonderful reassurance given to these believers about the second coming of Christ. You don't have to be idle, get back to work, he says, because Christ will come at his appointed time. 
And then we come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we're not dealing so much with the reassurance of the second coming of Christ, but we are dealing with the challenge of his coming. What we're really saying to ourselves is, if the prophetic scriptures are so true about Christ coming as a babe in Bethlehem, then we want to have that reassurance and the challenge of Christ coming again for his people. And so we find in that second, the second slide there, we're talking about the challenge of his coming. And what we find there is that Paul actually changes the terminology a wee bit here. In the second slide you'll see it there. From the coming of the Lord to the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. Look what he says there in verse 2. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. It will come like a thief in the night. And the wonderful thing about the scriptures is that Paul was not the only one to think about this special day, the day of the Lord, as a thief. The next slide shows us that it's actually there in Matthew 24, 36 to 44. It said, No one knows about that day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Therefore, Jesus says, Keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would have not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And not only do we find Jesus talking about this day of the Lord as a thief, but we find it there in Second Peter, the next slide. For the day of the Lord will come like a thief, the heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? That's the question that Peter asks. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of the Lord and speed its coming. The day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, says Peter, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of the righteous. Tremendous words, aren't they? In Second Peter 3, 10 to 12. And so what we have here is a, the day of the Lord is a day of both judgment and also blessing. It will be a day of great significance because in the Old Testament we find this reference there in the Old Testament to the day of the Lord. In the Old Testament the day of the Lord is described as a day of approaching crisis. It's a day of divine visitation. It's a day when the scales will finally be balanced and justice will be meted out. Justice will be seen to be done. That's why it's so important to believe in the second coming of Christ. Some people say, well, so-and-so has got away with it. They'll never get away with it. There's a day coming, a judgment day, when they'll stand before the Lord. Now, of course, there's been some speculation about when that day is going to be. And all through the centuries of the Christian church, people have speculated about when the day of the Lord is going to be. 
Let me give you a quote from one famous Bible scholar. I'm sure you've heard his name. This Bible scholar was working feverishly on the book of Daniel. And as he was reading the book of Daniel, he came to the conclusion that the Son of Man, the Son of God, was going to come very soon. Here's what he actually said. It's clear from the scriptures that no more temporal events, that's the events that will pass away, that no more temporal events are left to happen. All things have been fulfilled. The world is cracking up on all sides, almost as if to break and fall apart entirely. The last day is near at hand. The scholar's name, Martin Luther. And the year, 1530. He was so sure that the coming of the Lord was just round the corner. Others have tried to prophesy the day of the Lord. Hal Lindsay wrote a book, The Great Late Planet Earth, and he was criticised in that book for trying to pinpoint when the day of the Lord was going to be. In history, of course, the year 1000 was going to be the day of the Lord. And one of the things that we learn against these, uh, these cults, like Jehovah's Witnesses, they were always prophesying the day of the Lord. It was supposed to be 1874. Then it was supposed to be 1914. And I remember being the minister myself at that time, it was to be 1975. And if you, if you actually got hold of a Jehovah's Witness and said, no, it didn't actually happen, did it? Oh yes, it did. With those who had the eyes of faith to see the coming of Christ. Always trying to get round some of their false teaching. But again we need to hear what Jesus teaches in Matthew's Gospel. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And it's because of these speculations about the second coming, about the times and the dates, that some people have said, ah, I'm just going to leave that aside. I'm not going to get concerned about that kind of teaching. And that's a wrong reaction to that kind of thing. Because you, you realise this, that the, coming, the second coming of Christ is mentioned 318 times in the New Testament. That's once in every 30 verses. 23 of the 27 books of the New Testament have teaching about the second coming of Christ. For every prophecy in the Bible concerning Christ's first coming, there are eight concerning his second coming. And so what we're actually saying here is, we cannot leave this teaching aside. And we have to ask the question this morning is, what is to be a reaction to the teaching of the Word of God on His coming again? The next slide will show us what our first reaction should be. It should dominate our world view. It should really dominate our worldview. The teaching here is basic, and it seems that that's the kind of thing that was happening in the church at Thessalonica. It was dominating their minds and their view of the world. And that wasn't a bad thing. It wasn't a bad thing at all. Because the verse 1 of First Thessalonians chapter 5, Now brothers, about the times and the dates we do not need to write to you. Paul had already shared these things with them. The teaching is basic. It affects the, great, the way that we view the great movements of history. 
Do you ever think about that? Do you ever think about the way that history is moving along? Do you ever think about what's happening in Israel? I think it's important to look and see what's happening in Israel. I don't mean by that they get everything right. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is there's a prophetic understanding there regarding the second coming of Christ. It should dominate our worldview. That everything in our lives should be coloured by the fact of that day of the Lord that's coming up ahead. But this is not true of people outside of Christ. This is not true about their worldview. They don't know anything about the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's very interesting all that's happening on the television just now about Copenhagen. That people are so concerned about global warming and the emissions. I'm not saying we, we shouldn't be concerned about that. But they're more concerned about that. And they demonstrate about that than about the coming day of the Lord. The coming day of the Lord. And what we find here that Paul is teaching on the day of the Lord as dominating a world view. He does, Paul says here in verse 3, While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. So Paul is actually saying here that what I'm teaching you is of great benefit and comfort to believers. But to those who do not know the Lord, who are not prepared, this day of the Lord will bring destruction. It's a day that will go against them. But that's not, says Paul, what God intends. That's not what God wants. He intends that we, we welcome the bridegroom, Christ himself. And not meet with this judgment, the judgment for the unbeliever. And yet all through the Bible we have these tremendous warnings. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking, had no concern for these things that were going to happen, the destruction in the world. And we had reference to Sodom and Gomorrah as well. Folks, listen to me. God wants to deliver us from the nightmare of unreadiness. To deliver us from the nightmare of unreadiness. That's why the day of the Lord is a thief in the night. It's a picture of suddenness, of unexpectancy. No thief ever gives you a wee note and says, I'm going to be coming to your house at two o'clock on a given day or time. No thief does that. There's a suddenness about it. There's an unexpectedness. And that will be true of many people when that day comes. And there are things that happen in life for which sometimes we're not really ready. I read the story just recently of a minister who invited one of his uh, members for supper. And the weeks passed when this event was supposed to happen and I hear the minister forgot about it. So there was one night he was sitting with his wife and he said to his wife, minister said, I think we'll have an early night day. We'll get in their pyjamas <laughs> and we'll have an egg and a banana. And as they were having this egg and the banana, there's a knock came to the door. And here's this man, this member of the church, standing there in his suit, and he's looking at the minister in his pyjamas and his house school. He said, I'm not too late, am I? <laughs> the minister had forgotten. Not only that, he had forgotten to tell his wife that he was coming as well. <laughs> so the guy at the door came in and, and kind of understood what had happened. That, you know, sometimes we're just not ready for all the things that happen in life. 
And Paul is talking here about being ready for the greatest crisis when Christ returns. And so Paul is teaching in these believers in Thessalonica that this day, the response to this day, has it's got to dominate your worldview. You've got to look at the world events in the light of the day of the Lord, the coming of the Lord. This day will be unexpected by many. It will be sudden. It will not be a gradual, don't believe, petering out of resources, but a cataclysmic end brought about by not climate change, but by Jesus, by the Lord. By the Father. The Father alone knows the date when that's going to happen. And these are the things that are going to happen. Then secondly, the next slide. It's going to not only dominate our worldview. It's going to elevate our lifestyle. That's what it should do. Elevate our lifestyle. Look at verses 4 and 7 there of 1 Thessalonians 5. But you brothers are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let's not be like others who are asleep. Let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep in the night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. What a pertinent word this is for Christmas, isn't it? New Year. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. And this day, you see, is to lift our lifestyle out of darkness into light, out of sleep into being alert. Notice how Paul says here, you are actually sons of the light and you are sons of the day. He could have said daughters of the light and daughters of the day. I think that uh, sons is generic there. Sons and daughters of the day and of the light. And one biblical commentator has made the comment that when you see son of something, that is meant to characterize your lifestyle. James and John were sons of thunder. That characterized their lifestyle as being a a very short fuse. When Barnabas is said to be a son of encouragement, that characterized his lifestyle. If you met Barnabas, he would lift you up. We've heard about that in recent weeks, haven't we? And so we find that if you're what you're meant to be in your lifestyle, you are sons and daughters of the light. You are sons and daughters of today. That is to characterize your lifestyle. Sons and daughters of even the day that is yet to come. It's your inheritance. It's your right. And that is to elevate your lifestyle. We belong to the day. We inherit the day. So our lifestyle is to reflect that day and that light. And that means, folks, transparency. That means openness about our lives. That means honesty. If ever our life needs to be inspected, we can allow that to happen with ease if need be. The day is to colour our activities, our, our plans, our choice of marriage partner, our values, the way we deal with money, everything we stand for, coloured by the fact that we are children of the light and we are children of the day and that's going to affect our lifestyle. How we handle things even at Christmas time. Many of you will have heard of Lord Shaftesbury, the great philanthropist. And Lord Shaftesbury said this once, I do not think that in the last 40 years I have lived, in the last 40 years I have lived one conscious hour that was not influenced by the thought of our Lord's return. 
Now, given a, a wee bit of exaggeration, it's still quite a statement. He said, I do not think that in the last 40 years I have lived one conscious hour that was not influenced by the thought of our Lord's return. And Paul is teaching here in verse 6 that we, we don't belong to or we're not characterized by those who are asleep. Or those of the night. And what Paul means by those who are asleep is those who are spiritually insensitive. Those who live their lives as if there was no day of judgment. As if there was no day of the Lord up ahead. And here's the tragedy of it. They don't see themselves as asleep. They think that they're very much alive. And this word of God is saying they need to wake up. They need to wake up to where they're going to spend eternity. They need to wake up to what they're going to do with this planet. What they're here for in this life. And we as believers are not to be asleep. But Paul says you have to be alert. And you have to be self-controlled. He's so concerned about self-control. He mentions it twice in verse 6 and verse 8. Be self-controlled. Be alert. You're not meant to be asleep. You see, the fact is, folks, listen to me carefully. We actually know what's going to happen. What a responsibility that is, isn't it? We actually know what's going to happen at the end of time. We know the world is not going to just be snuffed out, come out of air or out of resources. We know that we are heading towards a conclusion. And we know what the conclusion is going to be, don't we? That every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every communist knee will bow. Every Muslim knee will bow. Every Hindu Buddhist knee will bow. Every humanist knee will bow. Every Christian knee will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Some of these knees will bow unwillingly. But it will be too late. But when that day comes, he will reign supreme. And we'll be able to say, yes, he's the one. He's the one who reigns supreme. We know that he's all. And we're not complacent about that. We're not being smug when we say that. We'll be saying that with humility. we say with thankful humility. We know it's assured. It's fixed in the mind of God. On that day, Christ will reign supreme. Hallelujah. And you see, friends, this day of the Lord is meant to elevate our lifestyle. It's meant to work a change in your life and mine. We're meant to be living in the light of the day of the Lord. It's meant to lift us out of that sleep. Out of being complacent about that day. Because we're sons and daughters of the light. We're sons and daughters of the day. So that day is to dominate our worldview. It's to elevate our lives. And the next slide says, the day is to activate our priorities. And you'll see that there in verses 8 to 11. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether we awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. I believe I can see two priorities here. One is the priority of salvation 
You'll see it there in verses 9 and 10. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. The basis of our salvation is the glorious death, the death of Christ upon the cross. And here Paul is re-emphasizing the wonderful gospel of Christ. He died for us. And this salvation mentioned here is probably the consummation of salvation when Christ returns. You see friends, salvation has three tenses. I have been saved from the penalty of sin by a crucified Savior. That's my past. I am being saved from the power of sin by a risen Savior. And I will be saved from the very presence of sin by a coming again Savior. Praise his name. So salvation is a, a salvation of the past, salvation of the present, and there's a consummation of salvation when Christ comes. And Paul says about that salvation at the return of Christ. I have been saved, I'm being saved, I will be saved. And the question for today is, we who have received that salvation, rejoice in that. But think of those who haven't. You see, there are so many people who have got it all wrong. If you said to some people, what's the ABC of salvation? I'm sure they couldn't answer that. But if you were to say, what's the ABC of salvation? They would think the A is attendance, the B is behavior, and the C is the collection. Attend church, behave yourself, and make sure you put in the offering. I think I told you that story about the minister who was uh, giving out the offering in this church and he was quite concerned because the plate came along, this silver plate, with nothing but bits and pieces of coins, you know, uh, pennies and tuppences and the odd button or two. And he wondered, what am I going to thank the Lord for today? He said, oh, thank you, Lord, that the silver plate was returned safely. <laughs> But that's not, salvation is not attending something. No, attendance and behaviour and offering, they're important in their place. But that's not the ABC of salvation. I would make the A there acceptance. I would make the B belief. I would make the C confession. I need to accept that I'm a sinner. And I need the saviour. I have to accept that. That I am a sinner. I all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I have to accept the belief that Jesus Christ is the only Savior. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we are saved. Only Jesus. And confession. I have to confess that sin. I have to be able to say, Lord, I've sinned against you in word, thought, and deed. And I need you to repent of that sin. I need you to be my saviour. And also to confess him as Lord. Lord, you are Lord of my life. That's the ABC of salvation. And somehow we've got to get that message across to those who don't really know the Christ. And Paul says in verse 10 there, he died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. My friends, the, the day of the Lord is meant to activate the priorities of our life, and one of them is salvation. Here's the second priority, the priority of, uh, of protection. You'll see it there in verse 8. And here in these verses there are a list of imperatives to put on things in verse 8. And here we also have this New Testament triplet that we all know so well. Faith, hope and love. That's not the order that's given here in First Thessalonians chapters 5. It's faith and love and then it's hope. Put on faith and love as a breastplate he says. 
And also the hope of salvation. Folks, we need protection. This is spiritual warfare. Just got a, a DVD out there the other day through the post from the Christian Institute. We need to see that. That's, it's only a very short DVD. We need to see it sometime. And there's various MPs and their lords, people in the lords who are Christians. And there's one older lord, I can't remember his name. I just saw it for the first time yesterday. And he said, I never thought I would ever live to see the day when Christianity was under such attack. And that's true. Christianity is under attack. From government, from other bodies that are trying to silence the voice of the Christian, whether it's to do with Christian people in a hotel, whatever it might be, that's being silenced. Who knows what's up ahead of us as Christians? And we need protection. The priority of protection. And Paul says here, I want you to put on faith and love as a breastplate. And I want you to put on the helmet of the hope of salvation. I want you to do that, he says here. That's so wonderful and so powerful here. Because this word putting on in the Greek language is a definite step you have to take. It's quite definite. But how do you do that? How do you put on the breastplate of faith and love? How do you put on the hope of salvation? Well, one commentator offers this this sort of thought. I think it's so good. He says this, I think you should do it by continual reminders. Wasn't that what Paul was doing? He said, there's so many things, I don't need to write to you about the times and dates, but Paul just keeps on reminding this church about the coming again of the Lord. And folks, as we come to the fellowship here, as we get to the the midweek meeting on a Wednesday night, if you possibly can get there, make sure you're there, because God wants to continually remind you of the teaching of God. So not only in the second coming of Christ, but other things He wants to get into your heart and into your mind. And as you continually have these reminders of the teaching of God's Word, you learn to put on the breastplate of faith and love. Faith and love come through. That's why it's important to be here. That's why it's important to be on a Wednesday night if you can possibly get there because God wants to bring you continual reminders that's going to help you put on the protection that you need. This is not the least that you can cope with. This is the most that you can live with. To be able to receive these reminders is a tremendous thing. Somebody's put it this way, that those who have their gaze fixed on the next life are probably those who are most effective in this life. Isn't that true? Those who have their gaze fixed on the next life are probably the most effective folks in this life. And it's these reminders coming through that we're putting on the breastplate of faith and love, the helmet of hope. That's why we need to meet together. As Paul, as the verses say in Hebrews, do not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some. And the second thing you have to do to put on the armour is by decisive commitment. By being able to say, I'm going to commit myself to the body of Christ. I'm going to commit myself to my brothers and sisters in Christ, praying with each other. As a decisive action, ministering to each other, we're deciding not to hear things that will pull each other down. But look at verse 11 in 1 Thessalonians 5. But to encourage each other, Paul says, and to build each other up. 
This is powerful teaching, folks. This is Paul saying, this day of the Lord is meant to activate priorities. One of them is salvation. And the other one is protection. And that armour of God is going to be helped. And that faith and love and that hope is going to be helped. If we have these continual reminders. And we have this conscious, conscious, decisive commitment. Are you willing to do that? The day of the Lord, this last slide just puts it there for us. It will dominate our worldview. You'll look at history in a different way. When you believe there's a day of the Lord coming up ahead. There's a conclusion that he's going to bring. The day of the Lord that elevates our lifestyle. We are sons and daughters of the day and of the, and of the light. And that's got to be seen in our lifestyle. The decisions that we make. The things we do with our money. The things that we do with our time. And the day of the Lord that activates our priorities. Two of them mentioned there. The priority of salvation. The priority of protection. Powerful, powerful teaching Paul gives us here. You know what I said to you before a few, some weeks back, there are only two days that need to concern you. Only two days. One of them is today. And the Bible says today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. And the other day that's important is the day of the Lord. That's the other day that we need to be concerned about. The day of the Lord, says Paul, like a thief in the night. For many it will be sudden, it will be unexpected, it will be too late. But the Bible also talks in 1 John, I think it says, that we are to be the people who love his appearing. We are to be the people who love his appearing. I mentioned to Graham about an old song we used to sing years ago. I don't know if you, if you know it or not. It says, what a day that will be. When my Jesus I shall see. I will look upon his face. The one who saved me by his grace. Then he'll take me by the hand. And lead me to the promised land. What a day. Glorious day. That will be. Are you living in a spirit of readiness for many it will be like a thief in the night but for those of us who believe we long for his appearing let's pray loving God we thank you for your word to us today at this time of advent the word advent means coming this time Lord of coming the first time as prophesied excites our heart to know that the prophecies concerning the second coming are just as assured. And because of that, we accept the challenge of that, as we find in these verses. Lord, may it dominate our view of history. May we be interested in our world and the things that are happening in our world, because they're all pointing towards that day. And Lord, help us, Lord, to have this elevated lifestyle out of that darkness, out of that sleep, to be alert and self-controlled. And Lord, may it activate our priorities. The priority of, evan of salvation and evangelism. And the priority of protection. Lord, may you protect us in this world that is getting increasingly anti-Christian. And keep us faithful in the midst of opposition that we might face 
in the home, the workplace, wherever it might be. Protect us with the breastplate of your faith and love, with the hope of the helmet of salvation. We give you the praise, we give you the glory, in Jesus' name. Amen.